Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are back. Man, I am so excited that you are here with us today. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Jacob LeBlanc. Along with my amazing wife, Grace, we are the lead pastors of the New Iberia campus. And I cannot tell you how good it is to see every single person in this room right now. It does something to me, y'all. Like, I, I got the frisons all over right now. Hey, and look, right now, if you're not in the room right now, we want to say hello to everybody in our family room. Thank you for joining with us. We're glad you're here. Um, we hope you have an amazing experience as well. We know you're right next door, but, but we want you to know we feel you in this room right now. So thank you for being here. Hey, I'm going to jump right in um, because y'all know I always like to start off the service with kind of the same thing that I like to share with everybody, uh, but I want to do it a little bit differently here. Um, hey, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad. Hey, if you're white in here, welcome. We're glad you're here. But if you are black in this place, this is your first time, welcome home. Welcome home. See, for this church, that's a little different. See, because a lot of people, um, a lot of people that are here right now weren't a part of our Savior's Church back when we started back in 1998, when Pastor Jacob planted our Savior's Church uh, right there in Cade. But we used to start off every service saying that. And we did that because we believe in breaking down pride, poverty, and prejudice. And I don't know if you've noticed, but around here, there is prejudice running rampant. And I believe that if you are called to this place, that you're called with the same mission as we are. And I'm gonna get into that in just a little bit, but, but the reason I say that is because I believe that if you're here today, I don't know what you walked in here with, but the God that I serve has big plans for you. The God that I serve understands where you are, sees you where you are, knows what you're going through, but has better for you. You might say, I don't, I don't know, Pastor, I'm, I'm living life pretty good right now. Yeah, wait till God gets a hold of you. See, because God's word says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. That is the God that you serve. And over the last few months, I don't know about you, but it, it has been some of the most complicated, some of the most painful some of the most confusing, trying, difficult, I don't know how many other words I can use to describe the same thing, but I don't know about you, but this last season has been tough. It's been hard. Y'all, I'm an extrovert by nature. I need people. I need people in my, y'all, I need hugs. I'm, I'm straight up Olaf, like I need warm hugs. But it's been complicated. It's been tough. I don't know if it's been that way for you, but God hasn't just been getting the attention of the entire world. He's been getting my attention. 
Pastor Jacob said this a couple of months ago in one of our executive meetings, and it rings so true. He said, if we're not careful, we can focus on what God is shouting to the world but miss what he's whispering to us. Grace and I have prayed for every single one of you over the last three months, however long it's been. We've prayed for your family. We've prayed for your safety. We've prayed that even though our region is probably getting hit harder than most other regions in terms of financial issues, but we've prayed for blessing for you. I believe this season has been a reset for all of us. And what I'm really excited about is that it's not just a personal thing. I believe God's resetting our Savior's church. Not just the New Iberia campus, but all of our campuses. God is refocusing us to make the most important things the most important things. And I'll just be real honest, just re- repentance time. <laughs> y'all know I can't go a whole service without being vulnerable, which y'all got to do it. But I'll just tell you from my perspective, I've been focused on a lot of the wrong things. Not bad things, just the wrong things. I've been focused on how well we can present a Sunday morning service. That making sure that, every, that, that everything is perfect, making sure that well, we, we have to make sure that the sound is perfect and the lights are perfect and, and we have to make sure that, that it smells good in here, which praise God, it smells good in here. That is important to me. <laughs> but honesty time, I pray before every service. I pray before I, I come up here. I, I, ask, I ask for God's blessing. Hmm but I've been too busy asking for God's hand and not seeking his face. I want the hand of God to bless me, right? We pray that prayer a lot. God, bless me. God, what do you have for me? I want more money. I want a better house. I want a better car. (laughs) And the whole time God's been saying, when you seek my face, I give you my hand. And I have, look, I'm repenting now. I haven't done my part to seek God's face and only seek his hand. But I believe this season for us is going to be a reset. It's going to be a reset. Man, I was worshiping, felt the Holy Spirit just strong during worship. This is what we're about. We're about the spirit of God because the power of the Holy Spirit is what can change hearts. Here's what God's been asking me personally and kind of our leadership team as a church. What are you building that's going to last? Are you building a great church organization or are you building the kingdom? Because if we're not careful, we can build a phenomenal church organization, make as many adjustments to the stage and the lights and the building and put a fresh paint job on it. But if we're not careful, this will, this will not be a church. It'll be a monument. I'm sorry, but I don't want to build a monument. I want to build a church because church 
is not a building. Church is who we are. We are the church. We will be Jesus to our community. So, so what are we going to do to build God's kingdom? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask such great questions. Last week, Pastor Jacob presented a thought in the message. Um, and and the, the message was so good, but he, he presented a thought. And it came, from, um, it came from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says, go, therefore, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was a God's command, right? It's Jesus, one of the last things Jesus said on earth. This is one of the last things Jesus commanded us to do while he was on earth. And then Pastor Jacob said something in the message that I would say has haunted me, but I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase it and say it's kept me in prayer all week. He said this, what if the last thing Jesus commanded us on earth is the first thing he asks us about in heaven. What if? What if when Jesus left this earth, he said, hey, go make disciples. Then when we get to heaven, he said, hey, how many disciples did you make? Uh. Nah, but Jesus, I don't think you understand. Like I went to church every Sunday. Oh, but God, did you hear, did, Holy Spirit, did you hear what he He went to church every Sunday. Now, that's how I see Jesus. Like, Jesus is sarcastic to me. I'm okay with it. That's how I receive it. He might not be that way to you. I, I, Jesus might be loving to you. I hope he is. He is. He corrects me in a different way. We gotta. But what if... The question Jesus asks you, after he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, he asks, how many disciples have you built? How, did you take my last command to go into all the world and to make disciples? Did you do that? God has called us as a church, as our Savior's church, to reach people and build lives by making disciples as we break pride poverty, and prejudice. This is what God has called us to do. And if you were to break down that sentence of who we are as a church, it's broken into three different categories. It's broken into what, it's broken into how, and it's broken into who. So that's our what. We're gonna break, we're gonna break poverty, prejudice. Okay, that's good. We're gonna make disciples great. But how do we do that? I think Jesus' last statement, so that was his last command. His last statement clears all that up for us. It's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, now granted, he has risen from the dead. He's already told them to go and make disciples. They're all standing around. What the disciples don't know is that Jesus is about to elevate right in front of them. He's literally about to ascend to heaven right in front of them. This is what he says. So when the, when, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? They keep thinking in small terms. They keep thinking that when, G, when, when the prophecy said that the, the, the Messiah was going to come to restore the kingdom, 
they kept thinking about what's the Jewish kingdom, right? The Israelite kingdom. We're going to restore the the earthly kingdom. Jesus said, y'all have no idea. No idea. And this is what Jesus replied. The father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not now for you to know. But you will receive the You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want you to understand, right after, literally the next scripture says, and then Jesus was caught up with the clouds. The very next passage, very next scripture I want you to understand the gravity of what Jesus just told these Jews. Okay? So I want you to, I want you to reach the, the Jerusalem, right? This is your people. This is your city. Reach your city. All right, great. Jesus, I could do that. Jerusalem's filled with a bunch of Jews that look like me. I can do that. Y'all know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I want to break it down. So, so the what make disciples. That's what we're doing. How we're doing it is to break down pride, poverty, and prejudice. Ooh, but the who, that's going to get us a little uncomfortable. See, because the who is everyone. Look at what he said. In Jerusalem, those are the people that you're around, your hometown. Judea, that was the, the people that looked like us. Okay, Judea was a place that was filled with Jews. It was a Jewish nation. It was, this is, a lot of Jews live there. Oh, but he gets a little uncomfortable with the next one, Samaria. Y'all need to understand the difference here. When a Jew talked about Samaria, the sound they made was, oh, Samaria. Ew. So gross. Because Samaria to them were inbred. I can make a local reference. I'm not going to do that. Because there might be people from Catahoula. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Monique's like, "Uh, excuse me. (laughs) I'm just kidding, y'all. Catahoula people love Jesus too. But you have to understand that Samaria was a place that no Jew even, if they were to go on a trip and the closest, the the, the fastest way was to go through Samaria, y'all, they would spend seven days to go around Samaria because they didn't even want to step foot in the town. This, these are the people that don't look like you. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the people that don't have the same skin color as you. The people that don't have the same background as you. These are the people God has called all of us to make disciples with and then to the ends of the earth. That's across the country. That's, that's overseas. That's, we're called to do it all. In order to break the prejudice of the world, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You cannot reach everyone unless the Holy Spirit is upon you. You could do anything. Look, I, but, but Pastor Jacob, I've got a system. I've got a checklist. Well, good, good for you. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it gives you boldness to say things 
that you never thought would come out of your mouth. Think about all the different types, and this is not an exclusive list. This is a, think about all the different types of prejudice that we, that we see just even today. Racial prejudice, black versus white, brown versus black and white, light skin versus dark skin. National prejudice, American versus everybody else. Y'all, everybody hates us. Except for Canada, they like everybody, eh? There's economic prejudice, rich versus poor. Intellectual prejudice, educated versus uneducated. Regional prejudice, north versus south. Denominational prejudice. Oh, 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 oh. Baptist versus AG versus Catholic versus Presbyterian versus Lutheran versus Episcopalian versus Methodist versus Anglican. Y'all, I don't think this was G. I don't think denominations were Jesus' idea. Denominations were built to separate us. Jesus came to unite us. And then finally, probably the one that gets us in the most trouble here in America is political prejudice. Red versus blue. Republican versus Democrat. Libertarians are just shouting in a corner somewhere. (laughs) But there's, there's so many things that are built to divide us. But you notice the people that came up with all of these different things were man-made. There is no division in scripture. The Bible is not written to divide people, it was written to unite people. Jesus didn't come to divide people, he came to unite people. You have to understand that prejudice has three roots. Prejudice is rooted in three things. It's rooted in difference. We're just different. Some people are just, they're just different. It's also rooted in ignorance. And everybody likes to say ignorance is like this bad word, right? Like, well, you're ignorant. Uh, okay, if you really understood what ignorance, ignorance is just a lack of information. That's all it is. There are certain things about how I grew up that you may never know. That just means you're ignorant on how I grew up. There are things about how you grew up that I don't know. That makes me ignorant on how you grew up. We like to use ignorance as a term to to degrade people when ignorance is all ignorance is, is just the ability to not have the information of what the other person is going through. It's rooted in ignorance. And then finally, prejudice is oftentimes rooted in jealousy. There's jealousy there. And I just, look, it's kind of a, kind of a fun little anecdote. Whenever I was young, I, was, um, I loved sports. I, I liked, liked playing sports. And one of my racial biases, I'll just be, just be open. Whenever I was a kid, one of my racial biases came from whenever I was a little kid. And, um, and that was, uh, I, I was playing and I was one of the best players on the team. Well, then I was a little African-American kid who came join our team. He was way better than me. Yo, I got so mad. Why are you better than me? But from that moment, I was like, okay, I, I've got to be better. I've got to, 
y'all, that was a racial bias from my own childhood that I've had to come to terms with in the last 10 years. And we're like, oh my goodness. Look, it wasn't, no, it wasn't his fault. He was better than me. Yet I put something on him he didn't even know I was doing. And can I tell you something? That didn't affect him, it affected me. A racial bias may be innocent, but it still does damage. Does that make sense? So prejudice is rooted in difference, ignorance, and jealousy. When it comes to prejudice, there's four things we have to know. Number one, prejudice has one purpose. It's division. Division. Prejudice's purpose is division, and there's two things that happen. The first act of prejudice was from Satan himself. The first act. When you read about it in the garden, he wanted to separate man from God because he was separated from God. His own pride separated him from God, so he wanted to separate man from God. Well, if I can't be with God, then you can't either. Jealousy. His difference, his ignorance, and his jealousy would not be satisfied until man was also separated from God. The second act we see of prejudice was with Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain became jealous over his brother's greater gift, and then, therefore, his greater blessing from God. His prejudice led him to kill his own brother. The first act of prejudice divided man from God. The second act of prejudice divided man from his brother. Divided us from each other. The second thing we have to understand, we have to know, is Jesus faced prejudice too. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And here's the part that not a lot of people or the Jews didn't remember. And in, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Jews forgot about that before Jesus came. See, think about this for a second. Up until that point, the Jews had 5,000 years of prejudice ingrained in them. It wasn't anybody's fault but their own. They focused on themselves because they believed that they were the superior race. God's going to make us a great nation. Yeah, but he's also going to bless everybody through you. For 5,000 years, the Jews believed that they were the only ones who had access to God. They were the only ones with a holy place, a tabernacle. They were the chosen. They were the only. They were the exclusive. The third thing we see is that Jesus came to break every barrier of prejudice. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says this, for, all, for, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've put Jesus on yourself. There is neither, here it is, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Y'all, that whole Jew and Greek thing, you might think, oh, well, that's just a biblical term. No, no. That was Jew and everybody else. Other translations say Jew and Gentile. Well, 
Unless you are born 100% Jew, you are a Gentile. I see a bunch of Gentiles. Y'all, that's us. Jesus came so that we could have access to God the Father, that regardless of what the Jews thought of themselves, we now have access to God through Christ, his son. We are all one in Christ. Jesus came to the earth to die on a cross for everyone, not just the Jews. He came to break down the barriers between God and us. And because Jesus was a barrier breaker, we have to be barrier breakers. We have to take on that mantle. When was the last time you stood up for someone who doesn't look like you? We like to read the story of the Good Samaritan and feel like, well, sure, I'd be him. I would, I would pick him up and I'd put him on my donkey and I'd take him to the inn and I'd pay for his, I would pay for his stay even. Oh, yeah? But would the Good Samaritan share a video from one of the three black people that agree with your white perspective? Would the Good Samaritan spew hatred and division by continuously sitting behind a computer screen and arguing with white people who don't understand instead of asking them to coffee or lunch and saying, can I tell you how my story is affecting your perspective? We spend too much time in the comfort of our own perspective instead of getting outside of our own emotions and our own biases and sitting across from somebody and saying, tell me your story. I don't care what your skin color is in this room. We have to take a heart change perspective on ourselves. There are things about the black community I don't know. There are things about the black community and how they were raised and the things that they've experienced that I have no idea about. But if I sit behind a computer screen and just read what's on social media, my hatred is going to grow. If I listen to what the news has to say about rioters and protesters and this and that, and they're just. Y'all, this past week, actually the past two to three weeks, I, I made a post a couple of weeks ago about George Floyd, all that stuff. That broke my heart, and that does accurately reflect what I'm feeling right now. But I said, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of posting on social media. I'd rather get in front of some people and ask some questions. So last week for our staff meeting, I, I'd, I'd asked a friend of mine to, to, to video in. He's been one of the biggest voices in bringing unity to the city of St. Louis. He was, uh, he was Bishop T.D. Jakes' youth pastor in the 90s, and he was also a former police officer. So he has a phenomenal perspective, and for an hour, I think we sat, 
listened to his perspective. He shared some things with us that I know I didn't know. I mean, just incredible insight. Man, I respect. I've been loved. I've had, had a relationship with him for a while. Asked his perspective. It was phenomenal. And I said, you know what? I'm, this is good, Pastor Anthony. I'm so, so glad. But there are people in my community hurting, and I need to talk to them. And I just set up a couple of meetings just to kind of talk to people and see where they're at. I learned more in the last two weeks having six, six conversations, seven conversations, something like that, with people that don't look like me that changed my whole perspective on everything. Everything. And I know you see my shirt. I know you see it. And you might not agree. But I'd like to share something. Because I'm wearing this shirt for a reason. (laughs) The light guy's going, I didn't press anything. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. They just fixed all of our lights this week. So I, I like this though, it looks good. So I'm wearing this shirt for a reason. I, um... The conversations I have with, with some of my friends, some of people that I love, and kind of share with me their heart behind what, what this means. And, and I want to just give you a light illustration. So this shirt uh, represents a movement, represents, represents a perspective. But I want to show you another shirt. This shirt says KK's fight. And this shirt means a lot. This shirt was made by my family a couple of years ago. Um, my niece, Caitlin, has uh, battled epilepsy for most of her life. And we threw a massive fundraiser, and we had, t- I mean, thousands of people showed up. And we, all, the whole family was wearing these shirts, and I've, I've kept this one, and I wear it all the time. And this shirt means a lot to me. And we had a, it was at some family property that we had, and, and there was, I mean, thousands of people out there raising money to fund research for epilepsy. And, I mean, it was a phenomenal event. What... I asked myself this question. I was, think, I was thinking about this message and I, asked my, I, I thought about that. I said, what, what would I have done if somebody showed up to that event, walked around and said, how dare you raise money for epilepsy? How dare you ha- have, a, have a benefit about epilepsy? Don't you know that all diseases matter? I'm just telling you, I know my family. <laughs> my dad's pointing at my mom. Sir. <laughs> I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it probably wouldn't have been as peaceful as some of the things you see on, on, on the news right now. But I wear this shirt, 
not because I'm trying to create division, but because I'm trying to bring light to something that black people have been going through for a long time. Of course, all lives matter. Of course they do. We support police officers. I, I am so grateful for people that willingly put their life on the line to protect me. I'm grateful for that. But as I was talking to my pastor friend from St. Louis, he gave me a history on what Black Lives Matter is and where it started. And it had nothing to do with police officers. Regardless of what the popular opinion is, it has nothing to do with that. Black Lives Matter is saying there has been a systemic problem for a long time and we just, we just want to be heard. So I'm willing to stand up. I don't have a big voice, but I will use my voice to stand up for people who've been hurting for a long time. Why? Because I believe Jesus would have done the same thing. I believe Jesus would have said, you know what? There's a lot of division right now. How about you try to bring some unity? My God is about unity. My God is saying, hey, let's put aside the differences that we have. Have some conversation so that you can get the right perspective. If maybe you say, well, Pastor Jacob, I don't believe that there are injustices against black people. What I would encourage you to do is... Um, invite somebody that you see in this room that doesn't look like you and invite them to dinner, coffee, lunch, and ask them what their experiences are, not what they've heard. I haven't talked to a single person, all the conversations I've had that have not experienced systemic racism. I'm talking experienced, not, oh, well, my friend and that. No, no, no. They've experienced it, every one of them. Have a conversation with them and ask them how it affects their lives. Sit with someone. Listen. The fourth thing we see is that we are not in culture. We are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. <laughs> Just that first line. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. All, every one of our racial biases, whether you are black or whether you are white, all of your perspectives are from a human point of view. I have them and you have them. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. So we thought about Jesus from our perspective, what we needed how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, say that with me, a new person. Yes. I don't know about you, but you would not have liked non-Jesus Jacob. <laughs> None of y'all would have liked him. But because I have Jesus, I am a new person in him. The old life is gone, the new has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. 
And God has given us this task. Oh, here it is. Of reconciling people to him. In other words, we don't live for what culture lives. We live for what Jesus lived for. To see people find a relationship in him. So how do we do that? There's a couple of things we have to recognize, and I'm going I'm to I'm finish off with this. I'm going to close with this. See, when I'm in Christ, I lay down my culture for the resurrection. John 4.4 4 says this, but he needed to go through Samaria. Didn't we just talk about this? Jesus went to the place that all other Jews say, Ugh. but it was for a purpose. See, Jews hated Samaritans. They would go around Samaria to avoid it. He went through Samaria to talk to a woman. Y'all, that was bad. Back in that time, the Jews would wake up every morning and thank God that they weren't a dog or a woman. That's how bad it was. He stopped and talked to a woman which was already super degrading. And then some theologians believe that this woman might have even been a prostitute. The Bible says that Jesus called her out and said, you've had four husbands and the fifth one that you're shacking up with is not even your husband, is it? Called her out. So he went out of his way to a place nobody liked, to a people nobody liked, to a person that was lower than a dog And then that low person was the most disgraceful person of any of the people that were lower than the dogs. Why? Hmm. Because Jesus goes to places where no one expects him to be, talks to people no one expects him to talk to, to reach the most unlikely person. She then tells everyone she knows about Jesus and the entire town gets to know him. Jesus laid down his Jewish culture to reach someone not like him for the purpose of saving lives. Wow. So we have to lay down our culture, but understand this, we're not anti-culture, we are kingdom culture. Romans 12.1 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. A lot of times we like to think that culture is what we need to adapt to. No, 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 no. We're not anti-culture, we're kingdom culture. That means our culture is greater. See, a lot of times we live lives that are rough, that are tough, that are difficult, that are hard, that are, man, I just can't get through. Have you fully submitted your life to Jesus in his ways? See, I say this all the time. My life in my hands is a mess, but my, my life in God's hands is perfect. Whether I'm going through difficult things or whether I'm having, I'm on top of the world. My life in God's hands may not be easy, but it's always better. 
See, when we're kingdom-minded, we have to realize that there is a king. And when you live in a kingdom, the way to live a great life in that kingdom is to honor the king's commands. We follow our king's commands. If we're to have a kingdom-minded culture, we have to follow the king's commands. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, though factional motives, through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for you or your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. Jesus didn't lose his privilege. He used his privilege to help us. Jesus is the king of my culture, my color, and my character. He left his throne in heaven and gave up his privilege as God. And he took on flesh and took the cross so that we could be redeemed from our culture. We follow Jesus because he's a uniter. Number four is this, our king is a uniter. First Corinthians 12, 13 says this, for by one Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, spiritually reformed, united together, whether Jews or Greeks or Gentiles, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Holy Spirit since the same Holy Spirit fills each life. Jesus united us to God, united us to ourselves, united us to our loved ones, and he even united us to the ones that we don't like. Satan came to divide through prejudice. Jesus came to unite through his spirit. Pastor Jacob always says this. He says, I don't know, I don't always know what God wants me to do, but if I know, if I know what the enemy wants me to do, I'll do the exact opposite. And I know that the enemy wants us to be divided. And if the enemy wants us to be divided, then I'm going to do everything I can to unite us. Because that's what the Holy Spirit will want us to do. See, maybe you don't know what to do today. I've heard people tell me that they don't know what to do about everything and, and all that's happening right now. Pastor, I don't even know what to say. I don't. You want to know what to do? I said it earlier. Ask someone who doesn't look like you to lunch, coffee, and just ask them about their story. We don't need any more social media warriors. We need people who are filled with empathy to say, I don't know what your story's like, but I want to feel what you feel. I want to understand what you go through. See, if we can't see other people's way, if we can't see them the way that Jesus sees them, we'll never get to the place where we can overcome prejudice in this world. But maybe you're hearing all of this for the first time and you say, I don't, I don't want to have this heart. I don't, I don't want to have prejudice in my heart. The way you fix that is by allowing Jesus to address those things in your heart. And in just a moment, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. But before we do, I just want to make one real quick announcement before we dismiss. 
Um, there is a specific way that we're being asked to dismiss. So do me a favor and just sit tight until Pastor Sean comes up and announces the way to, dism- to dismiss because um, we have to do it a certain way. But before we do that, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Would you like to be born again? Well, Pastor Jacob, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to be born again? Well, the Bible says in John 3, 3, says unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want everybody in this room to see the kingdom of heaven. Well, Pastor Jacob, I, I, I want to see the kingdom of heaven. How do I do that? Well, it's really as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we've made some mistakes. We admit that maybe the life that we've lived has been about us and maybe not about God's kingdom. We admit and then we ask forgiveness. Say, God, please forgive me for that. B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, rose again the third day to take the penalty of my sin on himself and to make us right with God. And then see, we confess. We confess that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And when we say that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, what we're saying is we have to lay aside everything of our own ambition and take on the culture of God's kingdom. So this is what I wanna ask. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to get in front of a bunch of people you don't know. I don't wanna embarrass anybody. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna ask this question. Would you like to be born again? And if you say yes to that, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm not sure about this. I feel something pounding in my chest. I feel like I'm supposed to respond to this. All you have to do is raise your hand. We're not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. What you're saying is, Pastor Jacob, please pray for me. On the count of three, lift up your hand. If you'd like to be born again, one, two, three, lift it up right now. Thank you, thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Do me a favor, just repeat this prayer after me. And look, we're all gonna repeat this out loud together because here's what I know, family that prays together stays together. So do me a favor, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on that cross, you took my sin, you took my shame, you took my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so that I wouldn't have to go. You rose again on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. This moment I confess, this moment I believe that I am born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. Come on, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.